Hi everyone, my name is Doug Morrow and I'm a director on the thematic research team here at Sustainalytics. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Martin Vezer, who's a senior associate on the team. And we're here today to chat a little bit about our latest spotlight entitled Assault Weapons, Assessing Exposure to the Firearms Trade. So Martin, let's start with you. Can you just talk a little bit about um, the rationale for, uh, for producing this piece? Sure, thanks Doug. So Sustainalytics has been tracking companies in the firearms industry for many years. And whenever a story about firearms dominates the headlines, as we're seeing right now with the case of Parkland, our advisors and analysts receive a lot of inquiries from clients about how they can manage and assess their exposure to these controversies. Since the February 14 mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, uh, which took the lives of 17 high school students and staff members, we've seen a sustained response from the public and investors alike. Uh, over the past few weeks, uh, some large institutional investors such as BlackRock and Bank of America have taken important steps to address this issue. BlackRock, for example, has launched a new ETF uh, and some pension offerings that let clients opt out of investments in the firearm industry. And Bank of America recently announced it would stop financing companies that manufacture assault weapons for non-military markets. With these considerations in mind, we thought we would look at our database of companies involved in the firearms industry and check what kind of exposure there is in the market and the financial performance of companies that are involved in this industry. Right, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's obviously a, a top of mind issue right now, I think, for, for many in the market, especially in the US. Um, can you maybe just talk a little bit about you know, the contribution of, of the paper? What, what does it provide that's new to ongoing investor uh, discussion and conversation about um, assault weapons? Sure. We summarize uh, the contributions of this paper with three main points. Uh, the, the first point has to do with what we call se segmenting uh, companies involved in this industry. We group companies according to different categories and levels of involvement. Often in the news media, when reporters are covering uh, the topic of investment involvement in the gun trade, any kind of firearms involvement is grouped under one large category. Sustainalytics has a somewhat nuanced approach to grouping companies according to different types of involvement. We have clustering of companies depending on the markets that they target. So some companies are concentrated mainly in the military and law enforcement market when it comes to marketing firearms. Others uh, focus on the civilian market, uh, others focus on both. So we have those large three categories, but we also have um, four categories, uh, broadly speaking, in which companies can be um, positioned. So we have manufacturers of, of firearms, we have retailers or distributors, we have companies that produce key components, and we have other companies that have significant ownership stakes in other companies that are directly involved. Can I ask a question? So just to, just to sort of ground this, uh, can you give me a couple examples of, um, of firms who are manufacturers as well as those in the retail space, just to help unpackage these categories? Like what, what would be an example of a, of a large um, you know, gun retailer, for instance. Sure. Well, a couple of that have come into the uh, media spotlight recently. 
uh, on the manufacturing and retail side would be American Outdoor Brands. Uh, this is uh, one of many companies in the market that produce uh, what is called an AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle. Uh, so they are the company that produced the firearm that was used in this particular uh, shooting in Parkland, Florida. Um, another company that has been in the media uh, for some time is Dix Sporting Goods. Uh, Dix is a retailer of firearms. It's in the news now for uh, a slightly different reason. It has actually pulled assault weapons off the shelf uh, and will no longer sell them. This was an immediate response uh, from this company to the uh, Parkland shooting. Mm. Uh, and actually on that point, I should mention this other category that uh, we cover and that is specifically focused on the civilian market. We look at companies that produce or sell semi-automatic weapons, well I should say assault weapons, uh, semi-automatics are a type of assault weapon. Um, so we have a category of involvement that looks at civilian assault weapons involvement. Right, okay great. And then I think something else that we bring is also the, the revenue threshold, right? Because I know in, in many of our products, there's a, there's a threshold test that we use to put companies into different baskets. So uh, can you talk a little bit about how we use that in, in our analysis of uh, firearms companies as well? Sure. So far, we've been talking about categories of involvement. So when we're talking about military versus civilian, manufacturer versus retailer, and so, far, so forth, those are all categories of involvement. Level of involvement has to do with the percentage of a company's revenues that are generated by the sale of firearms. We see quite a large uh, difference in uh, the way some companies are involved when it comes to this level of involvement. We also see patterns emerge when looking at companies based on their categories of involvement. So one point that we notice is when we look at the civilian market, we see that all of the retailers in the civilian market generate less than 5% of their overall revenues by selling firearms. This contrasts to the level of involvement of the manufacturers in the civilian market. Eight of the 15 manufacturers that produce firearms for uh, civilian customers generate 50 to 100% of their revenues by selling firearms. This kind of information is particularly important from an investment perspective because we've seen that companies that rely heavily on revenues from the sale of firearms can really feel the squeeze when there's a low demand for weapons. Uh, just recently, there was the case of Remington filing for bankruptcy, and just before it did so, the company was facing slumping demand for its products. So level of involvement is another factor that we think investors should really consider when assessing their exposure to this industry. Okay, great. So I guess to summarize then, what I'm hearing is that this, this toolkit really allows investors to drill down and figure out you know, the precise type of exposure to the firearms industry by using all these different types of, uh, of filters. Exactly, that's right. Uh, we have this information stored in a database that our clients can use uh, to develop their own customized screen. So if you're particularly interested in the assault weapons involvement within the civilian uh, segment, you can 
screening for that particular level or that particular category of involvement. If you want to narrow your focus to companies that have 50 to 100% of their revenues generated uh, by firearm sales, you can also do this with the data that we have. Great. Thank you, Martin. Now, can you talk a little bit about the second contribution that this paper really makes to ongoing investor conversations on this issue, which is about the exposure of these companies in the global investment product universe? Sure. So something uh, we should mention at the outset is when we screen companies in the market, we're looking, uh, in this case, for publicly traded companies. And we identify 40 of them that are involved in one of the eight categories of involvement that we mentioned earlier. To address the question of exposure, we scanned a Bloomberg universe of more than 57,000 investable funds, including more than 50,000 mutual funds and more than 5,000 exchange-traded funds or ETFs. What we found is that 24% of all ETFs and 15% of all mutual funds invest in at least one of the companies in our sample. And to address the conversation about civilian assault weapons, we narrowed our screen to identify exposure to 10 companies that are in the civilian assault weapons market. We found that about 5% of all ETFs and 2% of all mutual funds in at least invest in at least one of the companies in our civilian assault weapons category. Okay, so you're not saying that um, these products necessarily are substantively involved or invested in, in these companies. It, the bar is actually if they have any type of investment in, in at least one of those companies. So I imagine in a lot of cases, the actual exposure is quite limited, but it's still enough to kind of trigger a, a yes, as it were, in our, in our analysis. That's right. For the first step, we wanted to see what the percentage of overall ETFs and mutual funds are exposed to any one of these companies. So some of them might have only one or two retailers. Others might have a higher percentage of their assets allocated towards manufacturers. And then, of course, we can segment their exposure down into particular categories of involvement, which we also did. And we, we also had a concentrated analysis on the assault weapons category. We also looked not only at the percentage of the overall ETF and mutual fund exposure, we looked at how much of these different funds are dedicated to investing in these portions of the market. So for example, with the assault weapons category in the civilian market, we found that some funds on the market hold as much as 10 to 16% of the assets in these portfolios um, as, uh, as, as dedicated to companies in the assault, civilian assault weapon category. Others have a much smaller uh, net percentage of their assets dedicated to this industry, uh, as low as uh, 0.03 to 1%. But remarkably, actually, some of those funds that have a small proportion of their assets allocated to companies in this space have quite a large footprint when it comes to their overall market value. Some funds hold as much as uh, $100 to $500 million um, in investments in these companies. Okay. So I guess, I mean, obviously this is all driven by the, the framework that you talked about earlier in terms of the different categories. So 
Um, I think, you know, obviously companies like Walmart, for instance, uh, which is one of the 40 companies, I mean, some of those mega cap companies probably account for a lot of the, uh, you know, the ETFs and the mutual funds that get caught up in that, in that sample. But I think it's still quite interesting. So would you say the main takeaway is really that in actual fact, the 40 uh, major players, publicly traded players in the global firearms industry are actually more, um, more pervasive across the investment product universe than some people might realize. Is that, is that the, uh, the main takeaway? Yeah, that's the main takeaway from, from our, our mutual fund and ETF analysis. We, we found it uh, quite interesting to see that we had uh, such a high level of exposure, again, 15 to 24% of the funds that are investable on the market contain at least one of the companies in the set of 40 that we're looking at. Great. Okay, so I think um, let's take a look now at the, at the last contribution that this paper makes, which is the financial analysis. So, of course, many investors, when they hear about uh, you know, assault weapons or the fire, firearms industry, um, are obviously going to think about the relative attractiveness, uh, as it were, uh, in, in these companies from a financial return point of view. Uh, so I know we did some work in that area. Can you just sort of summarize the analysis and what we found when we took a look at some of the historical share price information? Sure. The first part of this point in the paper that I should mention is we wanted to have a systematic, uh, non-arbitrary way of selecting a group of companies from this basket of 40. So what we did was we analyzed the exposure of the FTSE Global All Cap Index to all 40 companies in our sample and we, we found that this particular index holds investments in 21 of the 40 firearms companies that we have. Now, we also looked for exposure to the civilian assault weapons trade, as this is uh, an important point of discussion in the, the broader market. And this uh, particular index has five companies that are involved in this trade. Four of them are manufacturers and one of them is a retailer. For our financial anal uh, analysis, we said, okay, let's take a look at those five companies that are in the FTSE Global All Cap and see how they've been performing over as long a period as we can find that all five companies are uh, in the market. So our time frame ended up being three years. And the reason for that is one of the companies, uh, uh, Vista Outdoor, was uh, formed in early 2015. So that will be the starting point of the financial analysis. We ran a total return analysis of all five companies over the past three years. Interestingly, we found that four of the five companies underperformed the benchmark. Uh, so the companies are that are in um, the index that we looked at are Sturm Rutger, American Outdoor, Vista Outdoor, Dick's Sporting Goods, and uh, Orbital ATK. Uh, or only the latter outperformed the market. Um, Dick's, as we mentioned, has since pulled assault weapons from uh, its inventory uh, that would be accessible to civilians. Um, but since they were involved in this market over the three-year period that we looked at, we kept them in just to see how they uh, performed. So four of the five companies that are in this market underperformed the uh, index, the FTSE Global All Cap Index. And they were also, uh, all five of them were more volatile than the index. 
And the ones that underperformed the market underperformed by as much as 15 to, to 79 percentage points. Wow, that's that's definitely interesting. And I, I guess, you know, past is not necessarily prologue to the future, but I think what you're saying is that at least during the study period over the last three years, uh, most of the companies involved in this segment of the firearms industry, which is the, uh, the civilian assault weapons segment, what you're saying is that most of these firms underperformed the, uh, the index on a total returns basis. That's right. So we took this uh, to mean that as well as having potential reputational effects, holding these companies can also have negative uh, financial effects. Great. So I think uh, just looking ahead, how would you say investors, you know, including pension funds or, or asset managers, how would you say they could leverage this analysis going forward? Well, I think we provide a nice framework for investors to consider when assessing their own exposure to the firearms trade. Uh, investors can look at the different categories and levels of involvement that we outline in this report. They can decide which categories and levels of involvement are most important for them according to their own interests and investment beliefs. And uh, they can run the type of analysis that we did in the financial section to check out what the performance is of companies in other categories and levels of involvement um, that interest them. We focused on the segment that's involved in the civilian assault weapons category, but you could quite easily run this type of analysis looking at a different basket of companies that have different types of exposure to this issue. Great. Well, thank you very much, Martin. Thanks for joining me today for our chat about our new spotlight called Assault Weapons, Assessing Exposure to the Firearms Trade. Please go to our website, sustainalytics.com, to download a copy. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.